If you're like me, you love and miss that golden era of Christian music. From the Jesus music of the 70s, the monster vocalists of the 80s, and the creativity and risk-taking of the 90s and early 2000s. I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I was privileged to be smack dab in the middle of this crazy and beautiful thing that we call CCM. As a member of the group for him, I got to know so many great people with even greater stories. And I don't want to keep these stories to myself. That's why I created One Degree of Andy, so you can join me as I reminisce with my friends and colleagues. My hope is that as you experience these conversations, you'll go back and listen to that golden era of music and fall in love all over again, just like I have. This is the One Degree of Andy podcast. One of the great voices in the history of Christian music belongs to Jamie Rowe, who made his name as the lead singer of the rock band Guardian. Now, I got to tell you, these conversations with artists who weren't normally heard on the biggest Christian radio stations, but yet had a very loyal following, they always fascinate me because they tell a story that's similar yet wildly different than what I experienced. But in the end, they leave us with an incredible body of work that so much of sounds really great even today. Jamie gives us an unfiltered journey of his life, and I hope it encourages you to go back and listen to his incredible music. New episodes release every Monday, but if you'd like to get early access to future shows, consider becoming a premium subscriber and get fun extras for helping support what we're doing with this podcast, which, as I continue to produce these episodes, I'm seeing artists getting their inspiring and sometimes jaw-dropping stories that need to be preserved out to the public and helping this amazing era of music find its place again on your playlists. Follow the link in the episode description for super easy, premium subscriber setup. Also, would you take some time to leave me a five-star rating and possibly a review and go tell your friends about One Degree. This will help us reach a wider audience and it will help the algorithms make us easier to find. And Christmas will be here before you know it. And I want to tell you about the Christmas story, which a bunch of you have already ordered. Read the Christmas story like never before. Embark on a captivating and immersive experience with your loved ones as you journey through the Gospels and relive the wonder of Jesus' miraculous first coming. With stunning visuals and compelling storytelling, the greatest story ever told will come alive in your living room. Each book includes a QR code, unlocking a dynamic digital experience. Read along to a powerful original soundtrack, watch animations on your TV, and enjoy an ebook and audiobook version Narrated by Willie George, founder of Church on the Move in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Lead your family well this Christmas with an easy-to-use, power-packed storybook experience. Get yours right now at readthechristmasstory.com. That's readthechristmasstory.com and enter promo code ANDY for 10% off your order or just go to my website, andychrisman.com. Now, here's my conversation with Jamie Rowe of Guardian. So it's my opinion that the voice is the first instrument, like the first thing we hear about in the Bible, the first, there's no, there's no trumpet sound. There's no drums playing. It's, and God said, it's a voice, right? And uh, I believe the voice is the most powerful instrument in the universe. And wouldn't you know it? I'm sitting here with one of the most powerful voices (laughs) on the planet. And I don't know. I don't know. Have we, have we run across each other? Oh, we did, years. man. I remember. I remember we played Astroworld World together with it was Guardian, yes, you and Michael W. Smith. Oh, and, and a lot more than that, I think. Yeah, it, it was. But to me, those that was like that evening thing, and that was just to me that was really cool because you know we were always like the token rock band. Like if you have the the the, the festivals that <laughs> they have, they have all the major pop stars. Then they have a yeah. side stage where they stick the token rock band, and it was always Guardian and. Uh, like say, and prayer chain back in the nineties and stuff like oh, those two wow. bands, like they, we were the token rock band on uh, uh-huh. prayer chain was the token alternative band. And yeah. so when we got to play the bigger stages and, you know, and Tony playing with Michael W. Smith probably helped out a lot and stuff, you know, just his recognition from that. But I remember that date and stuff like that and met you guys. And just, that was just a really insane show. I just remember the whole, the whole night was like, I, I, that was one of those things like, this is, this is cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but yes, and, we did. And I met you at the uh, at your church in like 2015, I believe. Yeah, that's right. We did yeah. talk about that. That's yes. right. Uh, yeah, but I that I think the Astrodome is the only time on tour 
that we really came across each other. Yeah. During, oh, yeah. During, you know, during the heydays of our careers, and uh, I would say that was that was towards the end of our career because I was I was already a worship pastor at a church I'd helped plant in Orlando. Okay. And wow. I'll for, never forget that night. I was thinking I grew up in Texas. You know, I grew up in Waco, and um, that 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 night was with it. K, it was KSBJ's like. 30th anniversary or 20th yeah, it was anniversary some, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And was, there were like, there were like 50 artists and everybody was going to sing two songs. Well, of course, you know, everybody's going to go long. It was a really long night, lots of <laughs> massive sound problems. But I just remember going, oh yeah, I grew up in Texas. I know that Houston is four hours away from Dallas. So there's a flight that gets me back to my church on Sunday morning that leaves DFW at uh-huh. 6 a.m. Gets uh-huh. me back to Orlando. I can jump in a car my wife will pick me up and you know we'll get to church in time for me to lead worship well what i didn't anticipate was how the astrodome is on the south side of Mm -hmm. houston Mm -hmm. and i literally drove two hours before i hit the first sign that said dallas 245 miles of course (laughs) and i remember just almost like weeping going Mm. i'm not going to be able to do this but that's crazy that's my memory i don't have a memory of michael smith uh, I have a memory of going, oh, dear God, what did I get myself into <laughs> to drive that night? But, you oh, know, man. it's funny. It's funny the memories that you take from those days. Well, before we get going oh, yeah. too far, I just have to say this at the beginning of every episode. Uh, welcome to the One Degree of Andy podcast. Glad Jamie be. Rowe, great solo artist, <clears throat> great lead singer for many bands, but most people are going to know you most people know from, from the Guardian. band Guardian. Yeah, so, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Really excited to have you here and to have this conversation with it's you. It's good to be here, man. It really is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, so tell me where you are right now and what's right. going on in your life at the present. Well, right now, okay. Um, well, I live in Columbia, Tennessee, the booming uh-huh. metropolis of Columbia. And I think everybody else in the nation is eventually moving here because the traffic is just uh-huh. kind of insane. Yeah. My daughter lives in my daughter lives in Spring Hill. Okay, well, I work in Spring Hill. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's okay. I'm literally 15 minutes up the road. So yeah, we probably it, passed each other a couple of times. I'm sure of it. Yeah. <laughs> go to Kroger <laughs> or something. Yeah. But um, no, I, I work for a guitar pedal effects company called True Tone. Oh wow! And our main thing is, I've been there for twelve years. Um, we make the One Spot and the One Spot Pro. They're power adapters for guitar pedal boards, uh-huh. and it's literally like one of those things where, like, if you name the artist and stuff, they chance to use a piece of our gear. And we're a very small company. There's like eight of us, and uh, it's just everybody from Bono to Corn. You know, what I mean, use our wow. stuff, and wow. um, and it's and you know, I, I everybody I work with are Christians, so it's kind of like you know, it's like. I've got my my daily fellowship group every single day, and I've been there yeah. for twelve years, and I love it. So these days, I make music mostly for fun, and uh, you know, and it wasn't like the '90s where I was, you know, doing this full time and everything. It's just um, I'm, I, and I've really tried to put down music a lot because a lot of times it brings me more heartache than, <laughs> than <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but I'm one of those guys; I just can't shut it off, and so yeah. I'm foolishly even like as we speak right now. I started a new project last year called Calamity Kills. It's basically which is amazing, more, by the way. Oh, yes. thank you. It's my project. It's and it's more mainstream uh, pointed. Uh-huh. Want to say it's more of like being salt and light type of situation. But um, I'm foolishly going for it right now. It's like dude, we got on Sirius Oct- Sirius XM Octane's radio. We're, wow. we're playing on like a, a handful of stations all across the U.S. right now. Yeah, it's a cover of the song I I still believe from the Call, which a lot of Christian artists oh, know because man. of Russ Taft. No, I know it from the call. That was one of yeah. my favorite college bands. Well, dude, no, dude. What's funny is I was in in the shower last summer, and I was playing a a, a bumping playlist. I listened to a lot of these eighty eighties pop. Believe it or not, I'm the yeah. metal guy who listens to 80s, like Duran Duran and stuff. And, yes. Uh, uh, Let the day begin came on. Uh-huh. You know, here's yep. to you, man in love. I was like, oh man, sounds good. And it made me think I'm sitting in the shower, like Alexa, play. I still believe. And so I listened to it. <laughs> and I was like, gosh, and I loved it. And I went back and I just thought, man, I'm making this. Alexa just heard me. Alexa, stop. <laughs> um, um, the, uh, that was actually funny. Um, so anyway, so I decided when I made the record, I'm going to make this, I'm going to do this cover. And I put it, I put it out and uh, I thought that it's cool because I listened a little about the background of it and everything. And, and I've always, it's just always resonated with me and people identify from the Lost Boys thing. And for some reason, mm-hmm. when it went to radio, it coincided with the holiday season or the Halloween season, which I didn't even think yeah. about. And all of a sudden, these stations started adding it. So anyway, oh my gosh, well, it's crazy. Uh, I was thinking about that song a couple of months ago, and mm-hmm. I listened to your version, which is amazing. Listened to, went back and listened to Russ Taft's version. Yeah, and then I went back and listened to that whole call record. Yeah, was it reconciled? Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. was that album cut? Yeah. Yes, one of my favorite records from my college years. And then I was like, oh my gosh, 
Lost Boys. I haven't seen that yeah. since like, and I watched it. My wife and I watched it. And we're like, hey, you know, it was it yeah. It didn't suck. No, it didn't suck. But it's, it's <laughs> definitely it's definitely of the time, and it's become kind oh, of yeah. like almost like a, a like a cult favorite and stuff like that. But it's just like mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, it's, it's funny. I you know, it's got all this like vampires type energy. So like, dude, I dude, I have never ever in my life like horror movies or anything like that you know what I mean? yeah. so it's like and i can take that movie you know what i mean yeah. so yeah I oh like yeah it. well what yeah. where movies have gone lately is just over the last 10 15 years i just can't we can't allow that crap in our house most of it yeah but i digress i you know I, the thing about you continuing to sing and always picking up this this fickle friend of music mm-hmm. you know I, I i believe i believe we're all programmed in the beginning those of us that have a voice Mm-hmm. Or that have um, just an innate musical gift. I, I feel like it's. I think. I think the Holy Spirit continues to beckon us. Well, use that gift. Use that voice. Because I believe music's the language of heaven. I really do. And and the, the older <laughs> I get, the more I understand that music's just not what I like. Or or the music that I believe we'll hear in heaven is not just. It's it's all the languages and all the styles. And I just believe all of it is is programmed essentially by God in the beginning that we're supposed to use it not only to oh not only to draw people into our message but to proclaim who we are yeah it's your unique way and i say this all the time i'm one of the luckiest people one of the most blessed people uh, that i know because i get to get up on that stage and let it all out mm-hmm. let all my emotion my emotion out and let all my energy out and get to say the things that i want to say in an impactful way and you even more so with the genre that you that you're in well, Man, it must be uh, it must be therapeutic for you to get up there and be able to. It, see it, it really do. is, and like I said, and, and these days, like I said, I don't get in a van and, and travel seven hundred miles to play. You know, what I mean, I get to do select shows. Like I, I open, I've opened for Striper the last two times they've come into town, and just you know, done acoustic type stuff. But it it really does feel good to at this point in my life. I'm fifty three. You know, I was twenty when I joined Guardian. You know, what I mean, so it's like. I never in a million years thought I'd still be able to do anything at all. You know what I mean? It's like kind of like when we kind of faded away around 1999, 2000, I really kind of thought that would be it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. I mean, I was hope. I just really kind of thought. So I just, like I said, I just, I walk around with a song in my head at all times and stuff like that. And I just realized, man, that's just, that's how God has programmed mm-hmm. me. He really that's is. Right. And sometimes, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's a thorn in my side. It really is. You know, like I said, <laughs> I, you know, went through, um, I went through a really painful divorce and everything just to be, be blunt. Andy, I was yeah. just being a bozo around mm-hmm. 20, 2015, actually probably after a few months after I met you. <laughs> I think so I went through a hard time and, uh, and during that time, man, I just kind of like had just put, you know, I got remarried and just started life and I was really content with stuff and music wasn't going to be a part of that life, but I still would just write songs around the house. Mostly for my wife. And what's funny is my wife, uh, you know, doesn't know anything about Guardian at the time or anything. Doesn't know, but her brother is a major country songwriter who writes like number one hits. Like he's oh, like wow. 13, 14. So anyway, yeah. so I was in that thing and stuff. And so she would turn me on this like country music stuff. And I started writing almost in that style, but I just wrote songs around the house for myself and for her. And then um, in 2019, a friend of mine, Rob Harris asked me to play the Bluebird Cafe with him. Oh, and nice. so, and me thinking, okay, you know, I've got to do this. It's the bluebird. It's the songwriting thing, right. you know? Yeah. And I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking they're going to figure out that I don't belong here. They're going to ask me to leave, <laughs> but I did. I played, I played the songs. I, I played one guardian song, but I played the songs that I'd written that no one had heard mm-hmm. and people really seemed to like them, especially the people at the bluebird. So I was like, okay, I, I remember telling my wife on the way home. I was like, I wonder if I did a Kickstarter, if people would be interested in hearing this stuff. And it's like, and she's like, you might as well. I said, what can this hurt? I said, you know what? And then I had that mindset of like, okay, let me do this so I can hurry up and fail so I can move on with my life. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I and it got, funded, it got funded in like 11 days. And so I made this wow. country pop record. Wow. And in country pop rock, I should say in 2019, then a pandemic hit. And during that time, I'm still sitting at home a lot and stuff. And I'm, you know, just writing music. And I realized, okay, I'm this stuff. And I never sit down. I'm going to write a country song. I'm going to do this. I started writing. And, also, and, and rock and roll became fresh to me again. Mm. Like my roots are, are cheap trick, like bands like that and everything, yep. you know, I grew mm-hmm. up and stuff like that. And I just kind of fell into that. And then I started writing stuff. And I realized, okay, the stuff I'm writing is getting considerably heavier. And there is something I do love about that. Just kind of reckless raw. Like I like to be able to, you know, I, I like, it's fun for me. You know what I mean? It's and okay. Let me, let, let, me, let, me jump, let me jump in here for a second yeah. because this, this is a part just for me. I find fascinating. I'm 57. Okay. You're 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
what what keeps your voice fresh? Like, how do you continue to do what you do? You vocally? know what? Here's here's a few things I learned, and I'm going to tell you. Here's a great example. Okay, first of all, let me back up. In the Guardian days, people would ask me like, "Hey, do you take vocal lessons?" I had that mindset like, "No, man, you either got it or you don't." <laughs> so, which anyways, which which there is there is credence to that. There's truth to it, but okay, yeah. this is this is go as far as like being too young and squirrely not to realize you need to take care of your instrument. True. So we're on the Miracle Mile tour, and all of a sudden. We did this thing in the winter, and I remember taking like a, a week break, and we had to come back out for the final run of the day. So I got the sound check, and I couldn't sing any louder than this. I couldn't talk any higher. And what had happened was, and I'll get to the point. I know this, I, I talk No, this long, is great. Andy, I'm sorry. No, I love this. No. Okay, well, get this. So, so anyway, so <laughs> Keep I'm going. And, and the stuff, the, the Guardian stuff, it sounds all aggressive, but a lot of it, it's all in the, if I mean, people aren't watching, but it's in the mask. You know what I mean? It's, it's, uh -huh. in, it's more nasal cavity than throat and everything. Yeah. So when I sing like this, it's really easy. You know what I mean? When I sing like this, it's actually a little bit more difficult, believe it or not. So anyway, so anyway, I'm doing all the stuff, and I realized I had developed some allergies I didn't realize, uh, mostly to food. I went through a period where I was allergic to uh, blueberry and Tylenol, aspirin, all this weird stuff. We have to have the weird thing. Even wow. NutraSweet, anything with NutraSweet, and I drink a lot of Diet yeah. Coke. So it was swelling my throat. And so I developed what's called hyperfunction, which means your vocal cords go like this. To, to make noise yeah this side just decided to get really strong and this side stopped working wow so i had to go for three months rehabilitating my voice so i could sing again so anyway so i so anybody i ever told in the early 90s you don't need vocal lessons i immensely apologize to you and i hope i did not cause harm to your voice <laughs> you know, yeah there is somebody that knows that. something more than you do so anyway i do yeah. that and to and i just actually tracked a vocal on uh monday and working on a, actually a Christmas song that we're actually going to release on uh, Black Friday. And it's a metal version of Jingle Bells. So, Oh, nice. <laughs> and it's <laughs> a be, metal version. I'll be waiting for that one. It's a metal version. It's actually pretty fun. But on, on Sunday, I sang like a scratch to lay down the track and everything. And I realized oh, it's a little tough. Dude, when I fast, if I fully fast like and don't eat at all, in about 12 hours, my 20-year-old voice comes back. Wow. And I can, I can sing that stuff all day. Like this morning, I've, I've already eaten like two slices of pizza left over from last night. So I, I like right now, it wouldn't be a good time for me to do a vocal. But if I fast, all of a sudden it just comes back in. It's kind of yeah. crazy. And, I, I and do, it took me a long time to figure that out. I do a lot of vocal coaching. And one of the things that I tell my students, especially artists that are, that are trying to sing somewhere, you know, every night mm -hmm. is that uh, one of the, the biggest things I learned, I've got to learn this from our friend Jim Caviezel, who was before mm -hmm. he was an actor. He was a nutritionist and a personal trainer. And he said, food is the most influential drug you can put in your body. That, and, and we know that now. I mean, with, you know, with, with all the things that we know that gluten can do for certain mm -hmm. people and sugar and anything that can. But I tell singers this, anything, you've got you've to test yourself and find out what foods cause inflammation mm -hmm. in your body. Because we know this. We can, you, know, we, you were talking about this. You can eat certain foods and all of a sudden you feel the pressure in your sinus cavity. Yeah. Or you feel you feel your throat kind of get a little mm -hmm. feel a little different. You've got to take note of that as a singer, and 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 work out your own plan. I, you know, obviously, you can go to a nutritionist and get all that figured out. But you've come up with it, your plan to go. Man, my body doesn't feel right when I eat this, mm -hmm. and you have to be very diligent, especially before you go and do concerts or go in the studio. Oh yeah, to just drink tons of water and make sure that you're very vigilant about what you put in your body food wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, on on stage, I'm, you'll always see. I always have room temperature water. I have the bottled water stuff. I get it's always room temperature. It's never cold yeah. or anything. Um, as much as I love my beloved Diet Coke, not while I'm saying it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, no, it's it's really. I I learned a lot about that and everything, and it was just really insane. And you know, even this summer, I I got some fresh allergy. I'm allergic to wheat. It's mild, hmm. but I am. And think of everything has wheat. Yeah, it does. You know what I mean? So the pizza slices I ate this morning have wheat. You know what I mean? So. So do you have, do you take vocal lessons now? Do you? No, I, I don't now and stuff, but I, I did for quite a uh -huh. while and everything. You know, I, I still, I still sit back and, you know, <laughs> you know, and do my, and you know, this, this trick is always good for me. Head up, swallow, stretch out and do that before the shows. And then, but, but mostly the trills and I use a steamer a lot. Yeah. And then I know now when I get sick, even if, you know, it's going to cause an issue and stuff like that, like lay back, don't try to. You know, yeah. go go all out. Otherwise, you'll mm -hmm. you know you'll ruin the next seven shows. Yeah, I had Rick Florian on the pod. Uh, I listened to that. Yeah, I listened. Uh, to that. Yeah. yeah, he yeah he talked about how the early the first few concerts he did with Whiteheart. 
mm-hmm. he just blew it all out in the first two songs. Yeah. And you're like, oh crap, what am I going to do now? And so there is a learning, especially if you're going to go on tour, there's a learning curve mm-hmm. that you have to go through. And But I go back to that natural ability. Not everybody can do it. No, there, there is there is a lot of truth to that and stuff. I mean, there's I think somebody you can get to a certain point, but there is a, I mean, people would always assume I had these like insanely great vocal in, influences and stuff, and I didn't. I tend to like bands stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a hair band kid, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like I remember telling I met Grover Jackson of Jackson Guitars back in the day, and he was he really liked the first Gardening record. He's like, who are your vocal influences? I'm 20 years old, like. Yeah, I really like, you know, Brett Michaels from Poison. I like Vince Neil from Motley. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know? It's like, and I realized that none of these guys can quote unquote technically sing. Yeah. But it sounds like I knew what I was doing. And um, that's, that's a God thing, dude. Cause, and, you know, and, and, and we can talk about this, but even our successes in Latin America and everything, which was the biggest thing that probably happened with Guardian. Wow. Wow. Was us singing Spanish records? I don't speak Spanish. You know what I mean? I bet, but I sang it phonetically really well with a coach and stuff. So it's always like, I've always been of the mindset that if God uses talking donkeys and burning bushes, he can use me for something. And that, and that's really been the case for me. You know, uh, that's awesome. Let's, let's go back because I want to go back to those influences and how you started your career, because we all have, you know, if you're going to do this for a living, you probably were doing it when you were young, mm-hmm. you know, you probably were singing, somebody took notice of you, someone put you in you know, whether it's in your family or a teacher put you in lessons or gave you opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I want to know where that aha moment was for you. Like when, when was that time oh, in your life? I can tell life? you this. Uh, yeah, I think I can do this for a living. You know, it wasn't a doing it for a living. It was more like I can sing. I found out I could sing. <clears throat> um, went to Six Flags Park in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah. When I went to a, a Christian high school and everything, and we had a, a field trip Saturday where we all went. And they had one of those, you can be a star vocal booth, which is basically, oh, yeah. you know, you know those, yeah. uh-huh. and we went in there and, uh, and they, they had uh, they had smoking in the boys' room from Motley Crue. Like I said, yeah. I was a metal kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and it was the time. And so they had that, and I went in and sang it. And they're like, and people were like, and that actually like really sounds good. Like it sounds like you know what you're doing. And this is not this is 1986. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And then they came in and stuff, and they all got my friends all got together and they heard this tape. Like you got to hear this, and, stuff, and they all put their money together and said, "Go do another one." And so I did one, dead or alive. From Bon Jovi. Yeah. Also, so basically, they were, and, and on the way the bus home, it's like a two and a half hour bus. Everybody's like passing the tapes around, listening to it. And like, I mean, I could always imitate voices, but I never really thought yeah. about singing, you know? Uh-huh. And at that point, it was kind of like, wow, okay, I guess he can sing. And I so, tell you, so many guys that I talked to, including, this is my story too, was we, we understood that we were imitators first. Like we oh, imitated yeah. what we heard on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that's how we developed our sound. Or you, you kind of, you kind of, you gravitate towards who you really love. Like I always loved Kenny Loggins. That was he's yeah, like my number oh, yeah. one vocalist of all time. And when I would hear when I was younger, that sounds a lot like Kenny Loggins. I'm like, oh, that's what I was going for. Yeah, I, I didn't. What I, I didn't care that somebody said I sounded like someone. Uh-huh. I was like, that's an achievement I was going after. No, absolutely. And and we were mimickers. I think that's the first thing. That's one of the first signs that we might have promise as a vocalist is. We're we're good at mimicking the things that we hear. I was I was really of that mindset, and to the point, it's a, even like the first like year I was involved with the Elefantes when we were making the Guardian records. You know, I was you know, like I said, those guys, the other guys in Guardian are ten years older than me. So why they let a twenty year old kid come in their mix is just <laughs> beyond me. But I'm thankful for it because they they were they were they were good mentors for me. Yeah. being ten years older, it really was a good thing for me. But I remember Dino Elefante looking at my tape case. I used to carry my cassette case around with all these like little hairband records and stuff like that. Yeah. And I went up one day, he goes, he goes, want to see what Jamie sounds like? There it is. He was kind of <laughs> like, he was like, you know, it's like, and, you know, and working with John Elefante and stuff, those guys really pushed me. Yeah. That's cool that you do that thing, but you need to find your, your path. Yeah. And they were really, but at the time I just, I'm just having fun. Like, this is cool. I can, you know, I, I can make it sound like the things I love. Well, let's, and let's, yeah. I, I just want to say this too. Your path, my path is a conglomeration uh-huh. of all the things that we've let into our soul yeah. and let into our musical brains. Yeah. None of us are originals. I mean, we, I can, you know, you can break down my voice. I'm sure you can break down your voice and go, okay, this comes from Brett Michaels. This comes from John yeah. Bon Jovi. This comes from whoever, you know, you can, you can start to piece these things together and go, and that's who I am because mm-hmm. you, you, you just switch resonations around. Yeah, and get these different things, and and then you add your own, 
ingredient to it. And that's your fingerprint. Yeah. And, and, and during all this time, like I said, I went to a Christian school and was not a Christian at all. I was like so disgusted by the hypocrisy. It's like, I don't want to oh, be wow. anything like that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just like, I, I, I heard a lot about Jesus, but I never really saw it. You know, <clears throat> but literally in a, in a moment when I was 17, I had one of those moments and a, an evangelist came and spoke at this thing at the school one time. And I remember sitting there literally, I didn't hear this audibly, but it really felt like God speaking to me saying, yeah, I know these people have hurt you or whatever. He goes, but what have I done to you? Hmm. And I still, to this day, God has never hurt me. I never, never down. The church and people have, have let me down a lot. And I'm sure I've let a lot of people down a whole lot of people, but God has never been let me down. So, so anyway, so I'm going through all this. So I'm a new Christian and I'm thrown into music pretty quick. So it's, it's like learn as you go. So, and like I said, I, I, I literally became a Christian and within eight months recorded my first record on a Christian label, you know, in 1987. So it's like, I had a head knowledge of Christ for years. Yeah. So I could speak the language, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't a hard issue until that evangel in, in the spring. So who were, none of us do this alone. I mean, there's no way that you just uh-huh. decided one day, I'm going to, I'm going to give my heart to Christ and then I'm going to get into music and then yeah. here I go. Who are the people around you that were kind of helping old, you make these decisions? I had an older brother and it was, I joined his band basically. And it was one of those things where like, I would sit there and watch them rehearse. And I, I just didn't start as a singer. I started as a bass player. And uh, it was one, literally one of those things like, I think my mom and dad made him like, you know, they, they owned a house next to the thing and he was living there basically like, yeah, you can stay here. You need to put your brother in your band. Hmm. And it was kind of like one of those things. So I, I originally was a bass player and then we got a record deal through pure metal refuge back in the day. I don't know if you remember that label. I don't, but they were one of the few people that were actually doing Christian metal. And like at the time, okay. like, there was only like three or four Christian hard rock records available at the time. So we was early on. So we made me that record. And I remember this guy, Chris McCollum, who built studios here in Nashville. Yeah. Uh, he built Gordon Kennedy's studio. Yeah. You know, um, Chris McCollum ended up producing a record and uh, we met him and he just thought we were just a bunch of bows. It's like, you know, we, <laughs> we, had, we had no business making music and stuff. It was cool. But, but I remember him telling me, he goes, he goes, you know, the, there's more to bass than just following the root notes of the guitar. Right. And so, so he did two things. One, he pointed out very quickly that I wasn't a very proficient bass player, but he also pointed out that I had a better voice than the singer of the band, which is my brother. Oh, and so he totally goes, we need to try your brother on a couple of these tracks. I ended up singing the majority of the record and then went home. And then two months later, when the record actually like got a hard copy of it, uh-huh. it was cool because we didn't stick for the mix or anything. And uh, it came back and there was a, my bass had all been replaced by a, a player and no one had told me this. So I was like, oh, wow, yeah. I'm really good. So uh, anyway, and but then it came out. So from then, that point on, I was the singer. And then how did your, how'd your brother take that? I think he's always had to be, and I hate to say this to be, I think he's always had jealousy slash envious issues. Sure. So I think he, I think it, I think it stung. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it it's had kinda, to. It, yeah, it had to. And uh, I did, I was in that band for a couple of years. And like I said, it, it's one of those things. I don't even really you know, talk about it much. It was such, it, to be honest, in a big picture in hindsight, it was, it was not a really good experience for me, but it was something that led me to something else. And that was meeting sure. you guys in guardian. And whenever, mm-hmm. you know, and this, I got a great story and I, I probably, people probably know this story if they know the band, but <clears throat> you know, I, uh, that same year, 1987 was a heavy year. Cause that was the same year in December before Christmas, my dad died oh, wow. and I'd become friends with Tony Palacios from guardian, the uh-huh. band, he, the guitar player, because, um, I was reading some stuff that, that Oz Fox from Striper I was a huge Striper fan. And Oz Fox was producing a record. And, you know, when you, when you do you know, a lot of Christian media, there's these little fanzines and stuff that pop up. And this guy had interviewed me for my first band. And he said, uh, um, you know, I just interviewed the guys from Guardian. I said, oh, yeah, I've been hearing a lot about them. And he, he goes, you know what? He goes, let me give you Tony's number. It seems like some, he, he's somebody you'd be interested in meeting and everything. Like he passed on his phone number. And I cold called him up, 17-year-old kid. Hey, man, you know, I, I, don't hang up. I'm a fan. <laughs> I just got your number for somebody because you know, in my mind, I'm in Indiana. Yeah. And I think that you know they're yeah. signed to Enigma Records. They're working with Striper, who was a big, really big at the time. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, and, like, Dude. and so anyway, we got to be friends a little bit, and we talked about him possibly producing a record. And then during that time period, he called. I called him, and he called me back, and he left a message with my dad. 
And this was like before Christmas. And I was at a Christmas party with some friends at Pizza Hut. And uh, the next morning, my father passed away. So outside of my household, Tony Pelosi was the last person to talk to my dad. Oh, And so I didn't have any of my friends that lost a parent. I had no one that knew that thing. And finally, about a week later, Tony calls. He goes, hey, man, I haven't heard from you. He goes, you know, you usually call me back. Is everything cool? I said, dude, my dad died. And what's funny is Tony's mom died when he was 12. Mm. So all of a sudden, we stopped talking about music, and he became a true friend to me. This guy on the West Coast that I'd never met in person, everything, became a really good friend to me and stuff like that because he, he shared that experience of losing a parent, and he wow. dealt with it. And he, like I said, those guys, those guys were good role models for me, you know, coming in and stuff. It was really yeah. helpful to me. But that thing, even if we never played music, and, and the thing is, Tony heard my first band. He didn't really like it. So when I found out they needed a, they needed a singer, he discouraged yeah. me from auditioning. Wow. He said, no, man, I know what you sound like. He didn't want to hurt my feelings. Wow. <laughs> so, but, you know. <laughs> well, then how did, the, how, did, how did you end up being in the band? Okay. Well, <laughs> so he says, he goes, we're kind of looking for like a David Coverdale kind of bluesy rock thing. I said, dude, that's totally me. He's like, okay. He goes, all right, look. He goes, just go into a studio, set up a mic and sing. We want to hear your voice. And I said, okay, cool. And they told me later that other singers, like, with no music, like, uh, how do you, like, nobody would do it. And I was just like, okay. So I literally got into a mic, in front of a mic in this personal studio this guy had, and did stuff like this, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, that I knew he wanted the blues stuff and show him what I could do. And I FedExed it to him. And then was like, this is pre-internet, so I'm calling and checking, you know, has it been delivered or not, nothing like that. And so, yeah. finally, after five days, Tony's wife, Brenda, says, you need to go pick up that package. FedEx called, said, if you don't pick it up, they're going to pick it back, take it back tomorrow, send it back. And he's been calling here every day, but he was so convinced it was going to be a waste of his time. And, and he yeah, he, he didn't, didn't want to touch it. it. <laughs> so he said he went and got it, and he literally said, he was driving down to the, the Elefante Brothers studio, he said he popped it in, and he said he literally had to pull off on the 405 freeway, like, this is our guy. Wow. He said he was like, he just could not believe it and everything like that. And so, and then it was like a month later, I was on a plane and uh, I went out and we wrote um, two songs that the first audition night, uh, Power of Love, which ended up being a, a fairly big song for us and a song mm -hmm. called The Rain. And both ended up on the first record. So it was just a, a crazy time. So then on the 5th of July of 1990, I officially became the singer of the band. So that's oh, it. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And you guys had, yeah, it's, it's a loyal following. I mean, yeah. I, want, I, want to get that. I want to get into that a little bit because, you know, we lived parallel lives and experiences where I was in the straight up CCM world. Yeah, but you got to play the main stage. We played the side stage. So. Well, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I know. No, no, no. I remember, no, I remember, I remember very vividly uh, th this emotion of driving onto the property of these, of these festivals. Yeah. And they're hitting, they're taking us to the main stage. And this is like, three in the afternoon mm -hmm. and I would see a great band like guardian or mm -hmm. white cross or, yeah. you know, somebody that was over on the side stage uh -huh. just going bananas going, man, that's really good. And they don't have a ton of people out there. Like, yeah. like I feel, I felt for you guys just like, man, it's so good. Where, where's the audience in for that? And I know that they were, they were in different places, maybe just not at, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Jesus Northwest or, you no, it's in creation. But, no, there were, there were places like Cornerstone Festival, which would be like predominantly hard rock. You know what I mean? Right. And right. that always did good. But, but to us, it was always a it was always a thrill um, to like play like Jesus Northwest or Creation, and and even on the sides, we, we actually in Creation we always play the main stage. So oh, that's great. Uh, good. We never we never that we makes never me got, feel better. Yeah, we did. But like a live fest, you know, up in Ohio, uh -huh. Uh -huh. we we on a, we were on a side side stage one year, and I remember the promoter said, you know, guys, I had no idea and stuff, you know, because a lot of people these, these book this stuff like before some of our records popped open. Yeah. So and we'd already accepted the booking, and it's like, man, I'm so sorry, you know. If you, like, we're glad to be here, man. And they put us on main stage the next year. You know what I mean? So, um, but through but, the years, what I was trying to get at though yeah, was through the years though, I really, I really started to understand how loyal your fan base was, mm -hmm. and and for that genre of Christian rock. Yeah, that I didn't, that I admired from a distance, uh -huh. but I didn't know that whole lot. Of, I didn't know a whole lot about. Um, you know, I, I look back now and just go, man, there was such a great, there was such a great subculture of Christian music. Mm -hmm. that I'm glad was there. Uh, I just had Michael Rowe of the 77s. Oh on. yeah, sure. Talk about that a lot. Just you know, one of those one of those guys that was leading the charge back in the 80s, mm -hmm. or um, you know, for, for rock and alternative Christian music, and didn't get a lot of 
you know, didn't have a lot of commercial success back then. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, guys my age and and the stuff we were listening to, we're going back and going, this stuff's really great. I think the same thing about Guardian, just going, it was in a lot of ways better than what was on typical CCM radio. I see what you're saying. It's the time has changed a lot and stuff like that. We we had a lot of quote unquote radio success, but we were never the band that would sit down and like, we're going to write a song for radio. We just were, we just wrote, which I love. And and I think that's why your music's a little more timeless. Maybe has a little more of a, I don't know, tells a story of where you were and And I love that you guys and bands like that guardian took a little more, Mm -hmm. went off the beaten path a little more. We, we did. And, but, and, but it's funny though, towards the end, once we signed with, with myrrh, with word and everything like that, it was funny because we actually, as far as like making a living, mm-hmm. did a lot better after we signed to like a quote unquote Christian major. Sure. But sure enough, man, and the times had changed. You know, we come come out right during the grunge movement when, you know, bands like Guardian Hair Band and stuff just became kind of like unfashionable, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I literally would have people um like in 93 and 94 around the Miracle Mile and Swing Swing Swung era of Guardian. I would, you know, we go to GMA week and there'd be people like presidents of other record labels and stuff like bigger labels. Hey, Jamie, how are you doing? So I don't know half these people. Yeah. And then within two years, seeing the same people act like they don't know me. Yeah. You know what I mean, that's how things had changed so much and stuff, mm-hmm. but we adapted and altered our sound a little bit. And I think it gave us a few more years than it did our peers because we've always been music fans. Uh-huh. And so we just, you know, we just wrote what we liked and it worked. But towards the end, there was definitely a little bit of that pressure all right, guys, we spent a lot of money signing you. We need to make some of that back. So let's, you know, let's take this song and maybe do a mixed version of it for this format and everything like that and everything. like. And then, you know, it was basically everything they signed us for all of a sudden became wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that, so welcome I, to the I, record I, industry. I mean, that's, yeah, and that's how it is. That's that's every, not, yeah. Yeah. That's not unique to us and stuff, but that's just, that's yeah. just how it is. Stuff like that. But, but anyway, it was funny though. While we were going through that here in the U.S., we're blowing up in Latin America. We're playing arenas and selling them out wow. in Latin America. Even my largest show in my life that I've ever played was in 2008 in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We had 85,000 people at a Guardian Reunion show. Wow. It was outdoor. Dude, the, the U.S. ambassador wow. came to meet us. You know what I mean? And I'm sitting there thinking like, what? And, and I got to take my, <laughs> I got to take my oldest son with me, he, yeah. you know, who was too young to remember all this stuff. So he got to experience all that. It was like really cool. But Incredible. anyway, so it's funny. So we're going this thing where we're, you know, falling out of fashion in the United States, but blowing up in, in Latin America. It's and that's so crazy because, and that, I think that's what I was trying to, one of the points I was trying to make earlier was just, you kept doing what you knew you needed to do as a band mm-hmm. and not just continue to conform to what the labels wanted, the mainstream mm-hmm. labels wanted, what radio wanted from you. Mm-hmm. I know it, I know it probably sucked in the, at the time in certain places, you just kind of like, Man, we can't, you know, we can't get anybody to pick up the phone for us. But yeah. then, but then you do what you do, and you do it so well. There are pockets of that around the world that just eat that stuff up. Mm-hmm. No, they're, we, they're nev- truly- we never saw that. We never saw anything like that in the international scene before him. And so that just makes me like, well done, guys. I mean, stick to the plan. Do what God's called you to do. And man, God will go. I got people. I got people but out see- there to support you. But see, you know what's so cool, man? And this is why this is, and I love this. And I say this sincerely about Guardian. Anything we planned never worked. Anything <laughs> we didn't worked. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, like wow. I said, I, God, God, we always knew that Latin America was all God because it's not us. We mm-hmm. didn't plan it. None of us speak Spanish. Now, now we can't enough to, you know, like El Baño, I need to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I know that. But it's like we were very aware. And another thing is, you know, here we are, you know, 30 years removed and stuff like that. But Man, in the '90s, the people you all saw on stage were also the same people you saw off stage. We there were people who were fans of Guardian that saw themselves as fans, and we saw them as friends. They, yeah. And they probably didn't realize that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know, hey man, good to see you. You know, you, the people that follow you around from show to show, they they consider themselves fans. We consider them friends. So there was a lot of cool stuff like that. And you talked about people being loyal. I remember some band. I forget. We after a show was like, man, your fans know all you guys as name. And for him, probably had that as well too, where they identified with each four people. Yeah, yeah. And and that that connection was really cool, you yeah. know. Wow. So. so tell me about tell me about the eventual 
like end of Guardian? Like, when did you know it was time to walk away, do something else? Well, um, well, obviously, in September, and, and, and 1999 was a pivotal point. Uh, David, our bass player, had gotten off the road. He'd become an A&R man for Forefront Records. Uh-huh. And once that got out of the ground, and, stuff, and we then our deal expired with Murr. And so we actually had, I can say this now, it's years later, we had one more record on the contract. They paid us to go away. <laughs> you know I mean? so for a, a couple yeah. of, a couple of years man um it was pretty rough but around 1999 we kind of saw the writing on the wall like we weren't getting like opportunities were drying up people weren't seeking us out mm-hmm. um you know uh, we and we to be honest we were all just kind of tired and, t- and tony had at that point started getting into like audio engineering and stuff and he became like a mix guy I mean, he i think he mixed like all the audio adrenaline hits and stuff in the early 2000s and whatnot oh, wow. so everybody kind of moved on and i to, it's continued the vow of poverty. I want to be an artist. So for a couple <laughs> a couple of years, the only I mean, and it's and Andy, I, I don't say this like to, to feel sorry for me or something like that. But like I said, I jumped in the, the garden when I was twenty years old. I didn't know how to do anything else, and I'd moved yeah, to you Indiana. Don't have another, you don't have another skill set. I didn't. I moved to Southern Indiana where I grew up, and we got a house. It was really affordable, but man, I looked in the newspaper. I didn't see anything like looking for a washed up Christian singer. You know, it's like I I was just. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I, I remember like, I need to do something to earn a living because we were getting the, the trickle stuff and we actually had some gear and stuff. So for a, like a year, I was able to get some payments and stuff like that and kind of keep my head above water. And I would constantly come down to Nashville for opportunities. But like I said, all of a sudden I thought, well, cool. I'll just, I'll, I'll start a solo career. It wasn't that easy. You know what I mean? At all. And everything like that. But I did do a few things. Like I did a solo track for this movie called extreme days. Uh-huh. And I made this track called Extreme Days, and, I, and Dave was like, "Hey, we should see if Toby McKeon, Toby Mac, would would rap on the bridge." And Tony heard it and said, uh, "Toby heard it and said, I want this song." And so it became, "Okay, cool. Toby's going to do it, and he's wants to rewrite some lyrics and stuff like that." And he put on a soundtrack, and they gave me another song. But the thing is, that quote unquote launched Toby's solo career because wow. during the time he was kind of, um, you know, okay, cool, Kevin and Kevin and Michael doing their solo records. Let's we'll get that out of the system we get dc talk back together and this song came along and became like a really big hit for him and so he decided to do that and make okay well now we're making a record and stuff and all of a sudden he came and, and it seemed like he kind of never looked back but no he did not yeah and so but and like and that was and for me that was a big deal because toby sold a lot of records mm-hmm. and like i said in, and i was still the majority writer on the track even after i let him do the rewrites i was still the majority so the publishing and everything like that really helped but man from 2000 to 2004 5 it was rough i mean like rough like having electricity shut off and everything like that like mm. little things like that like because I, I i said i didn't have a common skill set and that were you doing odd jobs were you were you doing other things i was doing kinda... any i was doing anything i could but mostly just trying to hustle with music stuff like selling a yeah. song here and there um mm-hmm. i went you know i even got well let me get to the point here let me come here i had gotten to a point where it's like i've got to do something and those truck driving school uh, commercials constantly showed up. Yeah. And I thought, I'm going to go to truck driving. I, I know I love to travel. I like that stuff. I've been everywhere. I kind of know this and everything. Okay. And I remember telling David Bach from Guardian, dude, I think I just need to go get a, a, a truck driving job or something like that. And, and he literally listened to me and he goes, hold on. Let me, let me call you back here a little bit. And he went and talked to John and Dino Alfonte and they had started this new company. And he called me back, said, <clears throat> um, we were just talking. He goes, Jamie, you got way too much music business experience. We want to, we want to put you on retainer to have you start doing. And this was right, right at the cusp of MySpace. And I'd gotten on that early. Yeah. We want to hire you to do, they didn't have a title for it, but basically it was social media, social media marketing. Wow. And so all of a sudden that changed everything. Cause that leads up to what I do today. And if you don't know my background and stuff like that, you know, I was the MySpace guy for a lot of Christian music back in the day. Oh, like okay. Newsboys, uh, Tree Sixty Three, uh, all the stuff. Uh, anything on the Slanted record label. A lot of EMI here at first. I handled their, all their MySpaces, wow. and I got really, enough to a point where finally Chris Estes, who was uh, who runs um, uh, Bethel Music now, mm-hmm. he was working at Integrity Music, and he read an interview with me talking about this, and he tracked me down, found me, and so I exclusively worked for Integrity Music for six years, I think. So oh, I did wow. all the so I did all if it was MySpace and Facebook. For years from Hillsong, Ella, you know, uh, I was going to say that was that was uh, Integrity's heyday, really. I mean, yeah, no, during 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 the Hill, when the Hillsong yeah. slash Integrity, I I was the social media guy. 
Wow. Like I, I did Israel Houghton. That's um, amazing. And people, people don't know this. And what's funny is um, I was trying to get another band going. I had this band during that time period called London Calling, which is, and let me, let me back up. And we don't talk about this long, but let me back up. Okay. okay. Around 2000, I read that book, Roaring Lambs. Do you remember that? By uh, Bob I Reiner. Do. Sure did. It made a huge impact on me. And it totally, to this day, still resonates with me how I approach, quote unquote, Christian music and my music in general. Um, I really feel like, you know, salt and light. And my, my goal, my goal and my agenda is to be salt and light in the world and stuff like that. So I've actually kind of functioned mostly outside of Christian music for the last 20 years with my music. And it's led me into some really, really, I'm going to say really cool places that I couldn't have been if I would have been a quote unquote CCM artist. I love that. But, but, but here's the thing. And my whole thing is, and I'll just sum this up and I'll do this quick. I'm sorry, Andy. I know I talk in circles. And I talk no, fast. this is great. I love it. I, I can talk. Let's put it's it that podcast. way. It's a podcast. Dude. Okay. It's not a TV show. Well, Let's if, go. You're getting, if you're getting paid by the, by the word, <laughs> you're going to get paid a lot here. Um, so anyway, but here's the thing, man. My analogy is like salt. You know, I, I love that Jesus, I mean, it shows in the brain that people accept information when it's holding a story form more than ever. Mm-hmm. And Jesus taught in parables and that just blew my mind. It's like, he's his master communicator. And then if we're supposed to be salt and light, if I, if I put the light on in the room, you would actually, you know, see like pleasantly, but if I shine it right in your face and your eye, it would like hurt. Like, Oh, oh stop. So there needs to be some subtlety. And the best thing is salt. If I take a steak and I sprinkle some salt on it, it's going to bring out the flavor. If it even is dull, it's going to make it a little bit better. It's going to slow down the spoilage. It's going to make everything mm. slower. But if I pour the whole jar of salt on it, it's going to be useless. Yeah. And the thing is, Christian music tends to make you want to pour all the salt. And I just I couldn't do it. So that's where I'm at these days. And stuff. And you know, there are people like, man, I wish you'd be more forward you know, with your message sometimes. I do, I do get that sometimes. They don't understand. It's like, I'm doing what I feel, really feel confident and comfortable that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it yeah. doesn't mean, uh, I, I just want to be salt and light, man. And the thing is I'm a Christian and I have been since I was 17. So inevitably, if I don't do everything with that accent, then I'm blowing it. But I speak with a Christian accent in everything I do. Wow. And that, that and includes it, music. And, and God just continues to open doors for you. Yeah. To be around people that need to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. And also just need to have a friend that's got their head on straight. You know, I, I think that that's one of the things that we uh, we don't think about is uh, how many non-Christian friends do we have? Yeah. You know, that we're not just like, we're not just pounding the gospel into their brains. We're just being there for them. No, I have. And, I have. and we're, we're talking sense and we're, you know, mm-hmm. we're, 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 our lives are, are reflecting peace and security and mm-hmm. And especially in days like today, oh, yeah. guys like you that can be around, you know, other artists and different genres just to go, I don't know about you, but I got peace. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, you know what, the thing is, I don't blend in when I'm in those situations. I don't, you know, just I'm, I'm radically different, you know, I'm just different, but yeah. I understand God's grace for me and I view people. I don't view them like evil, evolve, I, man, they don't know how much they're loved by God. They don't know. And if they don't know, how do I expect them to act? How do I expect them to be? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but the thing now, if I'm going in there and just becoming, Hey man, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners and I'm here. Let's rock and roll. You know, then <laughs> I've got a problem, but I don't, yeah. man. That's so, awesome, bro. Let's wrap this up by talking a little more about calamity kills. Okay. Um, what, what's the long-term goal for this? Do you have one or is it just yeah, I do. Actually, like, I do. And like I said, and here's the thing to be blunt. I, this is all I want to do for the rest of my remaining time to do music. I really do. Yeah. Just, and, just bump. Bro. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I feel you. I want to do that. <laughs> and the thing is, it's funny. It's like I said, I once again, and I always have this attitude. I did another Kickstarter, and people funded it, and I and I and I'm always genuinely surprised. I never think they're going to. I think okay, this is the this is the time they've got. You know what? Yeah, I used to like what he did and stuff. And once again, it got funded. It came out digitally on September 15th, and it charted on iTunes like pre-sale and everything like that and everything like that is and it, i listed as a rock album. i didn't listen as a christian record, so i bypassed all the christian but if i think if, if i would have listed as christian record i would have been the number two christian record on itunes wow so that would have been cool but the thing is once again i've just decided to not be ashamed of my faith uh-huh. but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you to put me over here i want i want to be i want to be on main street america and let them decide you know what i mean so there's that but my long term is just to keep making music and i've got a great music partner jamie perrineau 
Um, and Jamie's history, you know, he was Taylor Swift's musical director for two years. Wow. You know, and he played for Leanne Rimes for two. He's got all these country things, but at core, he's a rock guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So he, he helps me like, I'm not the world's greatest musician, but I can write a song and I can tell you what I want. I just necessarily can't play it. Jamie can play. It. So we've got those things together. But, uh, my goal is I want to do in 2024, I want to start doing live shows again. And the thing is, I don't, the band is me, you know what I mean? So I'm going to have the guys like either wearing, I, I want to do the theatrical thing that mm-hmm. I've always been drawn to and never had a chance to do. So I want them to like costumes. I don't like not necessarily, Oh, is that Ray from corn on drums? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like one of those things and it could be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. one of those things. So I'm going to do that. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to tour smartly because I love my job at true tone. I don't want to jack up my life. I like it how it is, but I need to get out and sing for people. I do. And kills is going to be my venue to do that. Like I said, as we as this is we're recording this right now, we've got a, a song going to rock radio right now. It's it's on a half a dozen stations here in the US and was on Octane in fairly heavy rotation, like uh-huh. for like three weeks. And uh the people who are working on that work on some major hard rock records. So it's like we're going for it, you know what I mean? But do I foresee myself being a full time musician again? No. But God's got other plans, that's that's up to him. That's not on me, but I really like how life is right now. Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. If you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Chrisman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.